Welcome, listeners, to our conclusion interview of this game for the GM Showcase. One last job. In these interviews, we will be taking a look back at the games that we have just played in, take a deeper look into some of the game systems and the homebrew worlds that we had the opportunity to enjoy, as well as talking about some post-game thoughts and having some time for GM advice. I'm here with Sean Ellsworth. Sean, first of all, I just want to say thank you so much from the Block Party Podcast Network for running this game for the GM Showcase. It was my pleasure. Uh, thank you so much for inviting me, and uh, our players were great, including you. It was, thank you. It was, it was a lot of fun to play in. I'd like to now take some time and talk to you a little bit about the game mechanics, about the setting that we were in. And first off, we can't go any further without discussing twist points. I know twist points were something that you came up with and we used in this game, and it was so perfect for a, a heist type of game. Can you talk a little bit about twist points, where they came from in your mind, and why you love them so much? Sure. Twist points, a lot of times they're called plot points. Definitely not something I invented, but uh, something that I've heard recommended to use in these type of situations. And the whole goal of the twist point was to give the players a chance to fail forward or whatever. So when they went and messed up, you know, they could go and use a twist point to go and get things back on track, no pun intended. (laughs) (laughs) The only cost is, is when you use one of these plot points, or in this case, twist points, that goes and puts something into the GM's hand. So whether it's Star Wars with their... uh, Destiny points, Destiny points, dark and light side, or whether I think Pathfinder has something called plot points in one of their add-ons. Like, you see them around, and and it's something that came as, you know, we kind of went from the 70s and 80s version of, you know, dungeon delving, and going into more story-driven stories... They work well for stories because they're a narrative tool, not so much a, I get a, an additional 1d8 die kind of tool, right? So instead of a plus one sword, you know, they got uh, something that they can go and use and it, it's risky. I mean, look in the case of Star Wars or in the case of this heist, I mean, you're giving me a chance to go and basically do whatever I want on my turn, right? Yeah, but it, it like you said, it really can, can help you in those times of need when your getaway driver pulls a gun on you and is totally trying to betray you. That's a good time to pull those out. <laughs> exactly. And I mean, another thing you can go and do in heist is you can go and give the players prep dice. And what those are is that for you as a reward, like giving advantage or anything else, that you can go and say, well, you know what? Because you remember to go and scout that location, here's an additional D8. So that when you go and try to pick out the lock, you're going to know what safe manufacturer it is. So you get to go and add a D8 to your, you know, proficiency roll. So you can do things like that too. But, you know, if you're going more narrative, plot points or twist points work great versus something like that, which kind of keeps the focus on skills. Yeah, I loved it. And it was definitely something that added to that feeling of that we were in a tense heist situation and it helped us in many circumstances. And it also uh, made things a little bit harder in different circumstances, depending on if it was us using them or if it was you using them. But it was just great. And the thing is, I mean, I think it came down to one twist point, right? I mean, if it wasn't, for, I believe so. Yeah. If it wasn't for that last twist point, the bad guys would have got away with uh, the loot. So, yep. <laughs> I mean, you know, you couldn't have asked for, uh, you know, the, the uh, maybe, a more know, the, perfect situation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, good thing it wasn't in my hands the last one. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, Sean, off air, you and me have talked a little bit about 
steampunk games. And one thing that you have stated to me is that there is a difference between having a game and a role playing game with steampunk technology or steampunk elements added in and running a pure steampunk game. Can you talk a little bit about what is that difference? Sure. I mean, my love of steampunk doesn't come from uh, a lot of traditional people who kind of come from the literary sense of whatever. I mean, I'm a big Dragonlance fan, and the gnomes in Dragonlance have steampunk, and they're just crazy. Like, you know, they have mile-long names, and they're crazy inventors, and they have a life quest. And that's what really got me interested in, in steampunk. So when I come at it, I come out from a, a gnome with airships type thing, or from Final Fantasy perspective. So it's really that that airship and and that notion of giving a fantasy setting some more tech, um, you know, even if it's, you know, more noir or even in the future, like Final Fantasy VII, for example. But steampunk, um, you know, really is an anachronistic version of the 19th century where instead of having the Industrial Revolution go the way it did, something changes. Steampunk happens earlier. Maybe it's more powerful. Maybe it's man-infused. It doesn't matter. But for whatever reason, you end up getting technology like computers, mass transit, and even social revolutions and all the rest of it. All this stuff is accelerated. All this stuff happens earlier. And instead of the Industrial Revolution kind of taking place from, you know, getting heavy into it from the beginning of the uh, 1800s all the way until, like, say, the post-war period, um, you know, or the pre-war period in the, in the 20th century, it gets condensed. And, you know, you end up with the ability to go to the moon maybe in, like, in the 1860s instead of the <laughs> 1960s. That's going to change things. You know, how's that going to go and affect, like, things, uh, events like um, the Russian Revolution or what kind of world war is going to happen? Like, how yeah. can you hold it off until 1914, right, when you have the European powers battling for the world, uh, you know, 100 years or 50 years earlier. And you said that's going to change things. And like, that is exactly what this parallel earth that you have created is totally based on that. Yes, it is earth, but things are different because of this steampunk element. The technology is different. But I also know that one thing that you've told me about is the fact that like preparing for this type of world, like a parallel earth, it can be really, really a bonus to have it on a parallel world that comes and is based off of our own world. Tell me a little bit about that. So the good thing about that is that if I go and mention a location such as New York City or New Amsterdam, that's going to instantly, in a one-shot, get the players on board. We're familiar, yeah. Yeah, and it's going to, you know, and you can think about it, you know, some uh, movie like Gangs in New York or whatever. If I go and tell you that you're in, you know, 18... If, if the year is 1860 and you're in New York City, you're going to kind of have an idea of what it is. You know, obviously there's, you know, there's no sh- shining towers or anything like that, but, you know, there, it's, it's still a bustling metropolis. And, you know, the other thing is, is that, well, you're going to recognize that it's our world, but a little bit different as we start introducing some elements. And, you know, as they build their characters, they're kind of getting involved in that because maybe they have magic or whatever else. And uh, unlike a lot of steampunk settings where, yeah, maybe they might have some technology or whatever and, you know, you focus maybe more on the occult or things like that. This one, we gave them the typical D&D classes and whatever else. And we focused because I wanted to bring in that kind of fun, um, you know, gnome technology. So we have a tinkerer, we have an engineer, we have, you know, all these crazy gnome type steampunk airship type guys. And we didn't focus so much on that, you know, Victorian era um, sensibilities and all the things that go on there. But we did. I mean, 
you know, the whole thing is focused on um, are the poor people being taken care of? How are the poor people going to get their medicine? You know, now that you have everybody urbanized so much earlier, you know, that's like a major thing here. And, you know, because uh, people can't get the medicine for the cholera outbreak, the black market's going to go and take care of them or go and profit from it. And, you know, that's you know, probably not something you're going to be dealing with in a, a medieval fantasy D&D game <laughs> where, you know, you're taking down the demons. Well, I think that it's a really interesting point about world building is in a parallel earth, the players are really going to key in on the similarities and the differences. Because with the similarities, like you mentioned New York or somewhere that they are familiar with to any extent, like they're going to already, like you said, have like an image in their mind. And so they're going to be looking for those similarities and they're going to be able to maybe give a little bit more input to the setting because they, it isn't just a world that the, the GM has written down notes and they really know nothing about until it's revealed to them. But at the same time, whenever a difference comes up, their ears are going to perk and they're going to, Oh, Oh, that's different than our world. Interesting. I wonder what else is different about this parallel Earth. Well, if this entire game is set on a lightning train between on which is currently Interstate ninety five, um, you can tell I'm not from America calling in the full thing I ninety five. But yeah, so this thing takes place basically halfway on the trip between Philadelphia and New York on I ninety five, and that's a real place. I mean, you know, you know, if the train crashed, they would have been you know near Trenton, New Jersey, or 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 Levittown or something, right? So, I mean, that's that's the real places they're going through, right? Yeah, and for prep, I know you said that you actually got a actual blueprint of a whole entire train, like a real train, and use that for your prep. Yeah, I, I took a train, and I wanted it to be more luxurious because of the nature of this train. And I took some of the luxurious, you know, rail cars of, of the era from, you know, this period in American history. But obviously, or maybe even a little earlier... Um, but you know, the idea would be, it's not going to be like our rammed in there experience now. I mean, it was, it was a luxurious experience where you had room to move around. You know, you're not rammed in there, uh, you know, five across each row. So Sean, we just got to listen to this whole game. One last job. You got to GM this game and you had definitely a whole group of interesting players to do that with. Can you tell us what was your favorite moment? From this past game? Well, I have to say my favorite moment was when we had you and another player in an encounter with a hapless guard or, <laughs> or a security guard or whatever he was. And he. Good he, old Oatun. <laughs> Oatun owed a little bit, maybe a ton. And, you know, oh man, you know, his voice is. Uh, it's, it's somewhat humorous. It was perfect. Yeah, you know, <laughs> and it was it, great it, hearing Caleb try to mimic it later. <laughs> it was, it was, it was, uh, you know, is borrowed from uh, Rick and Morty. I, I love that show, and <laughs> yes. uh, you know, I, I find that uh, that's a very humorous voice. And you know, the Patty and Dorg <laughs> did it did a good job on on helping me with the scene for sure because you know it's their scene and I'm I'm just answering their questions. Shaking in my my, my uh, you know guard boots. <laughs> yeah, that was that was a very very fun interaction. I had a blast with Michael being the muscle behind my uh, threatening words. That was that was so much fun. <laughs> I also really liked the uh, the vignettes. I thought you guys did a. I was expecting you know like maybe a little bit of awkwardness, whatever else, like any one shot. And I think all of you guys did a great job on them, and it just sets up that kind of hmm. 
Ocean's Eleven or any of those kind of heist things where, you know, you see Clooney in the prison or whatever, or somebody's yeah. walking out the prison gates or, you know, you see a guy on a, on a park bench and then his other partner sits down beside him or, you know, the bad guy sits down beside him. Like, it just, it creates that kind of cinematic feel. And, and you guys, you know, without you know, really, we didn't consult each other. I mean, I can't remember if, how much prep we did, but that was, that was all improv. It was great. So, Sean, we want to have you take this time to plug yourself, plug anything you'd like to plug. Tell us where our listeners can get more Sean Ellsworth, more tribality.com. Tell us a little bit about that. No problem. So if you like what you heard today, there is a group of us at tribality.com. We were nominated for an Any this year. We didn't win, but that's okay. It's our first nomination, so we'll get them next year. And, <laughs> uh, you know, we have a people writing articles every every uh, week, uh, every every day sometimes. And that's what we try to get. We cover news and we cover, you know, RPG type articles, advice articles, you know, homebrews. And we usually cover Dungeon Dragons 5th edition, but we're branching out. We're, we're covering, you know, more, you know, pretty much just role play in general, uh, tabletop RPGs. And, you know, we've uh, branched out into publishing and, you know, we try to release a PDF every month. So, you know, make sure you check out that with uh, there's a link on our website for Tribality Publishing. There's actually a guide if you're interested in steampunk that has the equipment and, and all the items that were provided to the players in this game. So steampunk guns and, and the items and, and whatever else, those were all provided to them in a PDF. And that PDF is uh, for sale on uh, various one bookshelf type websites. As we speak, as this being, uh, you know, this is being released, I'm going to go and publish a, obviously a little uh, promo article about this, uh, about my participation in this uh, GM showcase, you know, month. And, you know, on there, I'm going to go and provide a link to the train map and I will, uh, you know, provide some other details on the world or whatever. If you ever wanted to kind of, you know, run something in there that might give you some tools to be able to do that. Fantastic. And Sean, one last question for you. If you could give one last word of advice for any GMs out there listening right now, what would your last word of advice be to them? Sure. (laughs) In a, in a heist game or any game, my advice would be that as much as you prepare, your players are going to go and surprise you, you know, come up with plans that you didn't think of. So prepare the best you can and be prepared to ignore all your well-orchestrated uh, plans. Uh, if you can bottle them up somehow in a train or an <laughs> airship or anything else, it, it makes it uh, a little bit easier, but... You know, give your players room to run. And on the way in and on the way out, I really try not to bottle up the players to let them come up with creative solutions and you know, let me uh, run with who they wanted to talk to and where they wanted to go and how they wanted to prep and just trying to try to react to that. Fantastic. Well, Sean, we just want to thank you one last time for running this game for GM Showcase. This was an absolute blast. Thank you so much. It was an honor and a privilege. I don't just say that. Uh, and I look forward to uh, all the uh, future ones. I know that you have some great uh, ones coming up. So everybody, if, you're, if, you, if you've enjoyed the first three, you'll love all the rest too. <laughs> well, listeners, I hope that you have enjoyed another episode of the GM Showcase. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can reach us by email at thegmshowcase at gmail.com. You can also go, you can follow us on Twitter at GM underscore showcase. 
and you can like our Facebook page. If you'd like to support our show, you can give us a five-star review on iTunes. I'd like to thank right now Blake Ryan 74 for doing that very thing. Another way you can support us is you can check out our Patreon page. That link is in the show notes. The GM Showcase is a proud member of the Block Party Podcast Network. Check out our other shows such as The Dungeon Master's Block, We're So Bad at Adventuring, The Story Arc Podcast, and very soon, Geek Wars. Well, with that, thank you, Blockheads, for tuning in. We hope that you will join us again next month for another actual play featuring awesome players, awesome settings, and one very special GM. Until next time, see you later.